Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is a by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. A busy week at the NBA as the NBA trade deadline came to a conclusion on Thursday. We'll discuss the NBA in our next segment. In segments three and four, Maury Brown, the president of the Business of Sports Network, really bright reporter. We are going to dummy everything down for you when it comes to the NFL collective bargaining agreement. What are the main issues that the players and owners are arguing over? Is there going to be a work stoppage? We'll give you all of that information and more in segments three and four of our show this week. We're on sportsbusinessradio.com. We're podcasting. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. Sports Business Radio headlines of the week coming up next. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. Hey, it's 72 degrees. Zero chance of rain. It's been a perfect day. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one, NFL owners and players hold lengthy talks with the mediator this week. We are going to break down everything you need to know and more about the NFL Collective Bargaining Agreement with Maury Brown from the Business of Sports Network in segments three and four. So stay tuned for that conversation. You won't want to miss it. Our next headline, a busy trade deadline in the NBA. Finally, Griggs, 
The melodrama is over. And as we said on this show for months and months, Carmelo Anthony would wind up in New York. He did this week part of a three-team, 13-player deal, which also sees Chauncey Billups go to the Knicks. And lots of drama at the end of the day. He goes to the Knicks, and it's big business for the Knicks. Uh, ticket prices through the roof. Tickets that were going for $62 for the first game after the All-Star break were going for $375. So when you look at this trade, the impact Melo's going to have on ticket sales, jersey sales, he's wearing number seven, uh, sponsorships, TV ratings, franchise value. Big impact of Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, this just feels like the right fit for him too. He just he feels New York to me. Denver never it didn't seem right for Melo in Denver for me. And uh, yeah, it's going to be big for New York. It's going to be big for the fans, the city. And again, the media market is huge. It's only going to make it bigger for New York. Another big trade that took place at the deadline, the Utah Jazz didn't want to go through their own mellow drama with their star point guard, Darren Williams, so they were very proactive. They moved him to the New Jersey Nets at the deadline for Derek Favors and for Devin Harris, also some picks and some cash. So here's a team that basically said, look, we don't want to go through a year and a half of speculation. Is is he going to resign with a small market team? Let's get rid of him now. Let's get full value for him. But the thing that this did, Mikhail Prokhorov, the Russian billionaire who wanted Carmelo Anthony, he got Darren Williams, he got a star, he pulled off the trade on the same day that the Knicks introduced Carmelo Anthony and Chauncey Billups, so now all of a sudden, you've got this little rivalry with the Nets and the Knicks, and they're both much more meaningful today in the NBA than they were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, an interesting trade too, and I think another side note too is how you know the uh, the acu- accusations came out that Darren and, and Jerry Sloan were kind of at each other. Sloan retires, and then boom, Darren's gone. It's kind of interesting on that side of it too. I wrote a column this week. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com on the fact that I feel the NBA needs franchise tags, just like the NFL has them. If not, you're going to have Chris Paul leaving New Orleans. You're going to have Dwight Howard leaving Orlando. The players who play in smaller markets, they're going to go to the bigger markets, and you're going to have five or ten teams in the NBA who are worth anything, and everyone else is going to be just trying to exist. Our next headline also sticking in the NBA Are the Sacramento Kings going to move to Anaheim? We will know that if they're going to apply for relocation by March 1st. That is that deadline. But lots of talk that the Kings, who have struggled for the last 10 years to get a new arena in Sacramento, they may pack up and apply for relocation and go down to Orange County, Anaheim. And uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. We'll definitely keep our eyes on that. Our next headline... The Daytona 500 telecast on Fox earns an 8.2, up 17%, Griggs. And the winner of the race, the youngest driver ever, rookie Trevor Bain. What a story. I mean, you know, this guy is kind of the LeBron James of Daytona and of NASCAR. He's a well-spoken, good-looking guy. Um, No one expected that he was going to win this race. And there were lots of people tuning in to watch it. And this year, the Daytona 500 didn't have the Olympics to go up against like they did in 2010. So that helped as well. Yeah, and I think it was marketed well too. They had uh, they were really promoting it better this year, I think. So people kind of got excited about it. And like you say, the, the the youngest guy to win it, kind of a cool story. And I think it's going to get people more involved because now you're going to see, okay, is this guy going to come back and win the next race? How is he going to move up the points? All that stuff. Interesting race for sure. 
NBA All-Star Game ratings. That's our next headline, up 35% from last year. So those also up. And, you know, one of the highest rated games in the 26-year history of the All-Star Game, Slam Dunk Contest, got a lot of viewers. Many more people uh, logged on to vote for the Slam Dunk winners. 4.5 million voters this year compared to 1.2 million voters last year. And then, you know... I think one of the branding moments of the last few years, Blake Griffin jumping over a Kia car with his winning dunk. And Kia is a sponsor of the NBA. And interestingly enough, Griggs, when I watched it at the time, I thought, you know, it's the Sprite slam dunk contest. I wonder how Sprite feels about Kia basically getting the branding here. But Sprite signed off on it, and they were fine with it. Blake practiced this dunk with a Kia car, and uh, boy, it was a great moment for Kia. I think everyone knows that they're a sponsor of the NBA now. Yeah, and it was a, it was fun to see that dunk too. I mean, everybody. I think that's one of the reasons the ratings were so high because Blake is such a fun athlete to watch. You just don't know what's going to happen. And then the dunk contest, rolling the car out there, it was awesome. Good moment. Now I will say this: I watched a little bit of the All Star Game. The best part of the All Star Game, not even close the halftime show. If you listen to our opening, it's Rihanna. And Rihanna did this little medley. I thought it was a hip, cool halftime show. Much better than the Black Eyed Peas at the Super Bowl, Griggs. I agree. And kind of a side note, she was supposed to perform at Donald Trump's uh, mansion that same weekend. Called Donald and said, I'm sick. I can't do it. And then she showed up at the All-Star Game. Uh, Trump's hating on her pretty good right now. Wow. All right, coming up in our next two segments, Maury Brown, the president of the Business of Sports Network. We are going to break down the NFL's collective bargaining agreement for you. No, it's not going to be boring. We're not going to talk over your head. We're going to give you three or four issues that the sides are arguing over and the crux of the disagreement. So when you walk away from the show this week, you're going to have a much better understanding of the players and the owners and what those issues are, what they're arguing over with the NFL CBA. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. I ain't tripping off the next man. Baby, I'm a beast, but I ain't trying to be an X-Man. Number one, ain't gonna be nothing less than. No wetting, but I'm everybody best man. Baby, come and take a ride with me. Tell the getaway, come hide with me. Baby, take my hand, come fly with me. Baby, girl, let me show you what I could be. Yeah. Baby, you're my hero, baby. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com 
www.thepatriotmedia.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Maury Brown. He's the president of the Business of Sports Network, which includes bizoffootball.com. He also writes for Forbes Sports Money. And you can follow him on Twitter at bizballmory. We are going to break down everything you want to know about the NFL collective bargaining agreement, the issues between the owners and players. Maury, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Brian, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So you've covered this closely, Maury, and you wrote a terrific piece for Forbes Sports Money that I linked to on our website and on our Twitter account, at SB Radio. But I want to spend the next several minutes talking about the main issues between the NFL owners and players. Let's just start, Maury, with the health of the NFL, because it is head and shoulders above any other sports league in the United States. First of all, $9 billion in annual revenues, $4 billion in annual TV contracts, right? That's correct. I mean, you're, you're looking at actually over that. I mean, depending on how certain TV contracts go, the ESPN's about ready to renew uh, for Monday Night Football, which will get her closer to $2 billion annually for one game a week. Um, we're going to be looking at close to $5 million annually for TV rights alone. So to put that in perspective, with the TV money, payroll, the average payroll in the NFL is what, between 100 and $120 million, right? Yeah, so you know, about 57% of the, the NFL's, currently the NFL's revenues, go back to the players. But there's a bit going on with that, Brian, and we can certainly delve into that. I guess what my point was is that the NFL owners make so much money from the just the TV deal that it almost covers player payroll, right? Yeah, and that's always the contention that's going on here. I mean, the, the big thing that we're trying to look at now is, and what the NFL is claiming is that they've got a cash flow decline. They're not saying that they're running in the negative, which the NBA is claiming as part of their labor agreement. But the NFL is saying, look, we're, we're in a bit of a cash flow decline. We're not, we're not making the amount of profits that we were prior. And we need to basically try and claw back from the 2006 agreement, which to the owners, they believe got, the, the players got a better end of the deal on that. Let's keep talking about the health of the NFL. Record-setting TV ratings, as you noted in your Forbes.com piece, the NFL had 18 of the highest, the 20 highest-rated shows during the NFL season. So, I mean, it's a juggernaut. We saw the Super Bowl highest-viewed uh, TV program in United States TV history. So, you know, the TV ratings continue to go up, franchise values at an all-time high, NFL drew over 17 million fans in 2010. So, again, the point we're trying to make here, this is the healthiest league in the United States, bar none. Yeah, and I, I would have to agree with that, Brian. I mean, look, I mean, to put this in perspective, Major League Baseball, which hosts 162 games a year, each, each club has, you know, a fairly sizable and growing central amount of money coming in via their national television money and whatnot. They just hit $7 billion this year. And that was an amazing thing, considering they were at 6.6 the year before in a down economy. For the NFL, their total gross revenues have grew 6%. Um, pardon me, 9% from last year to $9.3 billion. And I mean, so you're saying this in the midst of like this 
incredibly down economy for right. the rest of the, of the country. So as an industry, I mean, if you take sports out of it and you just declare it an industry, it's exceptionally healthy. And that's, of course, the battle that, that they're trying to wage right now with the players. They're trying to make a case that besides the numbers that, that are available and that we do see, they're trying to make a claim that the cost of business is driving their their profits down. We're joined by Maury Brown. He's the president of the Business of Sports Network. Find him on Twitter at BizBallMaury. Maury, let's talk about what each side wants, because that's really what this negotiation comes down to, which, by the way, this week, they've been meeting with the mediator, and things have gone quiet. And as you and I have always discussed, Maury, when negotiations are private, when they're behind closed doors, when you don't hear things being played out in the media, that's when you know some real progress is being made. So I think this week has been a good sign for these negotiations. Would you agree? Well, I mean, I think it's hard to say right now, Brian, mostly from the sense that, you know, you're working with a federal mediator and and the ground rules that were basically put in place was, okay, guys, you know, if we're going to go this route and you guys have basically said that you can't get along and try and make this happen by yourself, then as part of those ground rules, you're both going to agree not to do any talk about this publicly. I think that's been a large part of this problem is that the rhetoric machine between both the NFL and the Players Association has been exceptionally high. They've had PR campaigns on either side that have just brought the acrimony levels to just such intense levels that, that it's made it difficult to get anything done. Now, at the end of these negotiations, I think that's when we're really going to find out whether we've got any movement. These sessions are about ready to conclude here this week, and and we'll go from there. And, you know, we're basically a week away from the, from the current collective bargaining agreement expiring. That's right. Uh, midnight, March 3rd, it expires, correct? That's correct. So, okay, let's talk about what the owners want. And at the core of what the owners want is they want to move to an 18-game regular season. And one of the reasons they want to do that, Maury, is because if you have two more regular season games than you have now, it's more revenue that's coming in for the owners, correct? That is correct. I mean, and that's one of the core issues. And there's others, and we'll get those in a second. But, yeah, the 18-game schedule, Roger Goodell said, well, you know, the fans want this. Well, I'm not so sure about that. I haven't seen any polls that say one way or the other that the fans want it, but certainly the owners are going to want this because, you know, if you if you're going to say two extra regular season games as opposed to two preseason games, look, there's more revenues to be made at a regular season game than a preseason game. And of course, the players are saying it's a whole different ball of wax when we play. So, from the from the owner's perspective, they see that as a revenue generator. And when they see a revenue generator, they say, look, that, those monies will eventually trickle down to the players. So that's at least one of the cornerstone pieces that they're looking at. So you bring up a good point. And from everyone I've talked to, whether it's other reporters who cover the NFL or David Dunn, a sports agent who represents Aaron Rodgers, Clay Matthews, and others, he said, I think 18 games can be sold to the players, but it has a price. What is that price? You know, I don't know what it is, but you know, f- people feel like you can get to 18 games with the players, but it's going to have a price tag on it. Well, I think the big thing, you know, Brian, that we're looking at is, is that the average career is three and a half years for a player, which tells you just how brutal the game really is. I mean, it's just exceptionally difficult. You're Brett Favre's. Some of these, you know, veteran players, like Damian Thomason, some of these guys that have been playing for a long time are the anomalies. They're not the norm. And so if you're going to throw in two extra regular season games where you're playing much harder, where you're playing with your starting lineups and you're not using the second, third, or even fourth string guys, you know, then you're starting to talk about, you know, wear and tear. And so for them to get to 18 games, there's going to have to be some reciprocation. There's going to be have to be some kind of medical benefit, something that allows them to basically, you know, have some money basically put away so that they can collect after 
after they retire, after they, they've earned their pension and basically maybe more money into the pension program. That doesn't go to what the owners want. The owners want to see money coming back to them directly. They don't want to see money going back to the players. And so this is one of the battles that they're trying to wage. Maury, there was also some talk with the 18-game regular season scenario that teams would only be able to play players 16 of the 18 games. So, for instance, the Indianapolis Colts would have to decide, I can only play Peyton Manning 16 of the 18 games. i got to figure out which two games he's going to sit. Any uh, truth to that scenario? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's going to be all kinds of stuff wafted out there. I mean, that's certainly one way to try and appease the players. But look, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a head coach or if you're an owner or if you're even a player, you're going to want to win. I mean, it's going to be exceptionally difficult. It puts head coaches in a, in a real bind to say, you know, what games matter? I guess, you know, at the beginning of the season, it won't be preseason. It'll be regular preseason, if that makes any sense. You know, I guess if you were going to wait this, you would say that the games at the beginning of the season have less, you know, weight than those at the end of the season when you're trying to push into the playoffs. So maybe you would do that, but it just puts head coaches, I think, in a, in a terrible position. Okay, so we're going down the list of what owners want. And by the way, in the NFL, for all of our listeners out there, contracts are not guaranteed. So when you sign a contract, you get your bonus up front. The rest of your contract is not guaranteed. And more, as you just pointed out, the NFL probably has the shortest career lifespan of any league out there because of the brutal nature of of the sport. So 18 game regular season, that's one of the issues. The other is, you know, we talked about this adjustment to the revenue sharing percentages. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, a big thing right now is I said at the beginning that it was $9 billion, but that was kind of a different number. And then we would talk about that. What that means is there's been $9 billion that comes in, but before any of that money trickles down to basically set the cap system, a billion dollars comes right off the top for what they call expense credits. And these are used basically to fund new stadium development and other basically renovations. The league has said, look, we've had two stadiums come online, but those really came online and we started developing those before this current agreement came about. We don't see the money coming in. It's much harder to get taxpayer dollars. It's much more, it's more expensive to, to develop stadiums. We want another billion dollars off the top. So if it was $9 billion now and you went down to basically eight to determine then what goes to the players, they would look to cut that down basically to seven. And so these, this is a real sticking point right now, maybe more so than the 18-game schedule, Brian, because they're really talking about a whole lot of money, $2 billion to help develop. And basically the, the argument is, is that that money then, once again, as new stadiums develop, more people, more fans come, the fan experience increases, more revenues come in, and that will trickle down eventually to the players. So in layman's terms, something that everyone out there can understand, the owners are coming to the players and they're asking for a sizable pay cut from the players, correct? Yeah, they're, I mean, in some senses, that's what they're looking at. I mean, they're looking at a pay cut. They, they want to see that 57% that's currently going to the players after this money comes off the top. They want to see that ratcheted back, and, and there's certain methods that they want to see it there. There's concern um, that the amount of money that's going to rookie salaries to untried talent is, is too much right now. Now, the, the Players Association tried to basically buffet that and say that they could basically kind of bring that down, but it was rejected, and this is one of the things that happened right before we went into federal mediation. It sounds like the NFL wants to see this start to impact four- and five-year guys. Most contracts 
manufacturer of the three-year variety, which would, then you would get into your rookies. But your four- and five-year guys, you know, now you're starting to get into quote-unquote veterans. Those guys, if we said a, a career lasts three and a half years, you're starting to get into guys that are basically, you know, your veteran players. And that's going to be a real sticking point on how they're going to address that problem. So do the players want a rookie wage scale? If I'm, you know, a veteran and I see Sam Bradford coming into the league, he's never played a game, and he's getting 40 or $50 million up front, I'm probably not real happy with that. Do the players want a rookie wage scale, or do they not want a wage scale? Well, you know, publicly they say they don't want it. But, I mean, look, if you're going to have to have a sacred cow in the midst of this discussion on what you're going to have to cut and what you don't cut, Brian, it is going to have to basically boil down to probably the rookie players are going to be the ones that are going to bear the brunt of this right now. And so with that, with that issue, you know, you're basically sitting there saying, you know, if you're going to basically have somebody take a cut, rookies are probably the ones that are going to get it. And when you start getting into veterans, it's a whole different ball of wax. We're joined by Maury Brown. He's the president of the Business of Sports Network. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Follow Maury on Twitter at BizBallMaury. All right, we're talking about what the owners want out of the current uh, collective bargaining agreement that's being negotiated. Maury, we've talked about the 18-game regular season. We've talked about an adjustment to revenue-sharing percentages. We've talked about rookie wage scale. What else do the owners want from the players in this agreement? Well, I think that pretty much rounds it up. I mean, you know, you you would hope that that you know that would be enough, I guess, on some senses. I mean, the money that they want to see go into um, into new stadium development and those expense credits and whatnot, and the and the player percentages, I think, is pretty much it. The rookie wage scale; those are kind of the core issues that 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 they would like to see happen right now. Okay, what do the players want? And I know the players aren't asking for nearly as much as what the owners are, and part of the player's strategy is just playing defense, right? Yeah, and I mean, that's pretty much all it is, Brian. I mean, they, they have asked not once, not twice, but five times to extend the current collective bargaining agreement. They're very happy with where they are right now. And so with that, you know, you're basically in a position to where you are playing defense. Um, they would, they've made a, a deal that said, look, you know, we'll go ahead. You're worried about the amount of money that's going to rookies. Um, we'll cut that back and we'll say that, you know, uh, part of it is going to go to veteran players and we'll even put in $50 million to retirees, which is a large part of this, Brian. I mean, there's a lot of retired players that have basically been kind of hung out to dry and have tried to address this lately. They said, if you put in 50 million or if we put in 50 million, we'd like to see the NFL match that and put a hundred million dollars into a pension program for retired players. Well, of course the the owners rejected this because none of that money comes back to them. So that was kind of how they were trying to basically skirt around this idea of putting in a rookie wage scale at first. That since then that has been about it. I think that what you're going to have to see are some concessions. The players, you know, the owners believe, and this has been the contention since day one, more or less that in 2006, Paul Tagliabue and the late Gene Upshaw, basically brokered a deal that was very advantageous to the players in terms of the amount of money that went in. And that's why we had owners opt out in 2008 of this current collective bargaining agreement and why we have basically an uncapped season right now or in this past season. So the players are on complete defense right now. There's going to have to be some concessions. It's how much they want to give. And there's a political dynamic, frankly, in this. I mean, you have a brand-new executive director. You have pretty much a a, a brand-new commissioner in play, and you have the pressures that come with both of those. More of my conversation with Maury Brown coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. 
Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Back to my conversation with Maury Brown on Sports Business Radio. Let's talk about the health of the players for a moment. We saw so much uh, media coverage around concussions and hitting this year and the health of players. And, you know, we saw something really terrible happen within the last week. Dave Durison, the former player for the Chicago Bears, took his own life. And reportedly, before he took his life, he sent text to his family saying that he wanted his brain donated to medical research. And some people said, is he a martyr here? What, what is he doing here? It's a terrible story. But there have been players that have had brain injuries and other effects post-career. And I wonder how much that all plays into these discussions. Well, it does. It's a huge part of this, Brian. I mean, it is a thing that if the players are looking for anything other than where they are right now, they want to be able to see some benefits come in. I mean, the players are basically going into, if there's a lockout, they're going into this with no health benefits at all for themselves or their families. And moving forward, I mean, you're sitting there. So, you know, if you're a player and you're looking at this, you know, in terms of concussions, which deals with all a host of issues that, you know, quite frankly, I don't have the medical background on it, but in reading up on it, I mean, there's that, you know, severe cases of depression and other, you know, instances that come along with this that just lend itself to, you know, not a great quality of life. Now, a lot of fans are going to sit there and say, you know what, they know this, you know, they're paying, getting paid a whole lot of money. And that's, I would think, probably a gladiator's mentality to the whole thing, if I want to add some commentary to it. But I mean, if you're somebody that goes, hey, this is my, my livelihood, I'm only going to play this for a while, do you think that you're going to retire, and that's going to be the end of it? You know, you're not playing anymore, I won't be injured. And what we're finding out, Brian, is that these head injuries can last a lifetime and can have severe adverse effects long after these guys have left the playing field. So, I mean, that's a major issue that's going to try and be addressed. The NFL's trying. I don't know if they're trying as hard as they could. They're looking to address it. The players want to see something more done with it. How does the NFL compare to other leagues as far as taking care of its retired players? I always look at Major League Baseball as kind of the gold standard in this in this situation. They've had a pension plan for a long time that, that came into place. And, you know, the players, I think in a large part of this discussion that's going on and something we haven't really touched on is, is that I think you're seeing for the first time that the players are basically standing up for themselves and they're making a real stand and are very much united. And so in terms of how their pensions are, I think they're looking at this new data that's coming out and they're saying it's not enough and they're really going to make a stand on this issue. So you've got this, you know, very divergent things. You have owners that are saying we need to make money and, you know, and some of them, Jerry Richardson, the, the Carolina Panthers owners, has been condescending to some of the players, star players like Peyton Manning, saying, you know, boys, you don't really understand what's 
what's going on? This do I need to draw a chart for you? And that just doesn't lend itself to the situation. We've just got a very acrimonious situation. And but like I said, this the pensions and the benefits that are going forward, those are the things I think the players are, are working toward. It's not so much more pay. I, I don't think they want that. I think they want some sense of health moving forward as they play the game and basically are respected as they leave it. Let's talk about just the basics of the negotiations. You've got you know, Commissioner Goodell, who's working with the owners, and he's got far fewer owners to keep on the same page than Demora Smith has with players. You've got hundreds of players. You've got, what, 32 owners to keep on the same page? So I've always said it's a little bit easier to get the owners on the same page. Then you've got billionaires, the owners, competing against millionaires. So the other part of this too, Maury, is that some of the TV money that comes in via these contracts can be kept by the owners. Now, as you pointed out in your Forbes piece, the direct TV money, which is a billion dollars, is guaranteed whether they play or not. The rest of that money at some point would need to be paid back with interest. But there are many advantages on the side of the owners as opposed to the players if this thing were to go for an extended period of time, right? Yeah, and, if, and I think that that's what this is what really boils down to, you know, uh, out, you know, short of the federal mediation that's going on right now. If we get into a lockout, Brian, it's a battle of attrition. And then it starts to get ugly. Then you start to ask questions like, well, if the players are going to miss out on stuff, do they make this financially hurt the owners in some some way, shape, or form? Because as you mentioned, all that TV money, even if games aren't played, they get paid that money. Now, they do have to get it paid, paid back with interest minus the DirecTV money, which is totally guaranteed just by having – the NFL on DirecTV's channel listing, the NFL said, hey, you're, you're going to get subscribers. So they get a billion dollars pretty much scot-free from all this. If they're able to dig back and get some of this money back from the players, then that helps eat away at that interest that they're going to have to pay back on these rebates. So, I mean, you have all this incentive for the owners to basically try and drive the players through a battle of attrition. I mean, I have a pamphlet that the NFLPA has handed out to all the players. It's a 64-page document that says, here's what you do in case of a lockout. Don't spend money you don't have. Here's how you invest your money. Don't invest it wisely. Don't go out and buy a bunch of toys. Here's how you go and get your insurance, because now these players have to go out and find insurance on their own. As you mentioned, I mean, it's far more difficult players to try and keep themselves aligned and not break, have the center basically collapse under its own weight as these guys start to run out of many. Some of these star players are probably well set up. The rank and file guys are going, I just want to go back to work so I can basically pay my bills and take care of things. Well, and the hard thing is, Maury, and I've seen a stat, 80% of NFL players within three years after their playing career, they're broke. HBO Real Sports just did a fantastic story about players who had made anywhere from 50 to $100 million over the course of their career flat broke. So you have to wonder, not only in the NFL, but in the NBA, as they are going to be going through a potential work stoppage, how well can these guys save money and manage money, especially when it's not coming in every two weeks? Yeah, and that's the key thing. I mean, it's a sad commentary, I guess, social commentary when you've got that much money coming in and, and you see that pilfered away like that. Part, A large part of that pamphlet that comes from the NFLPA to the players, they basically have an investment firm that talks to them about how to invest your money wisely and how to hold on to it. It's basically a hand-holding process with some of these guys. Because, look, when you have that much money, you don't really have to worry about such things. And when you turn the spigot off, you know, I mean, if you lose a whole season of pay, some of these guys are living very, you know, 
very opulent lifestyles that can't, you know, I don't, I think a lot of people think these guys go out and buy it with cash. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think they probably have mortgage payments like a lot of us do. And so that's, you know, something that they've got to try and deal with in the midst of a work stoppage. Very, very difficult, you know, and maybe it is one of these things, you know, maybe a bit of work stoppage would give some of these guys an alignment that are maybe spending, spending more than they probably should. Now, here's something else that's very important to point out, and I get this question all the time. I'm sure you get it, too. At what point do the players start losing money? NFL players do not start receiving paychecks until September. So right now, Maury, they're not hurting. They wouldn't be getting paid right now anyways. And a lot of people say, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, until players start missing checks, the game isn't really on. So September, circle that time on your calendar. If there's not a new CBA, that's when NFL players are scheduled to start receiving paychecks. And if there's no, if they're locked out, that's when they won't be getting paid. Yeah, and they've put money aside. I mean, there's been escrow payments that they've, that they've been collecting. And, I mean, this happens for all leagues, Ron. I think you probably know this. Major League Baseball players are playing into it right now, even though they look like they're going to be skirting any kind of a you know, work stoppage very easily. But it is one of those things towards that. I think that's where you mentioned September for the players. But really, to me, it's August for the owners because that's when the training camps start. And you do get that we're starting to see, you know, basically you're charging admission to go to play to training camps. And then you start to get into preseason games on the televised schedule. And that's when I think there's going to be an incredible amount of pressure placed on all sides if they don't get this thing brokered. And I think that that's a large reason, Brian, why we're seeing right now this federal mediation so early on. I mean, they're going to try and get something done. Whether they do or don't, you hopefully have some groundwork because between March and basically the beginning of summer, it really doesn't matter, right? I mean, it'll, it'll consume the headlines. It won't financially ding too many people. It's going to hurt the sponsorship area. It's going to hurt maybe renewing some deals where you basically have people on the sidelines going, I don't know if I should invest in, in your industry because I don't know what, what direction it's going to take right now. But other than that, that money really starts to hit, when, like you said, August, September. I think that's when you really start to see a lot of pressure go down. We've got just a few minutes left. We're joined by Maury Brown. He's the president of the Business of Sports Network, and also it includes bizoffootball.com, Forbes Sports Money. He writes for them, wrote a fantastic piece, everything you need to know about the NFL CBA on Forbes.com, and then you can follow him on Twitter at BizBallMaury. Maury, stadium debt. Let's talk about that for a minute. There's some new stadiums in the league. The Cowboys have their stadium, Jerry Jones, the Palace in Dallas. You've got the Jets and Giants have a new stadium. Those payments need to be made. So that's a place where owners that have new stadiums can be hurt if they don't have money coming in, correct? Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, mostly, I think, more the latter, the Jets and the Giants. I mean, you you had, I mean, we, we didn't touch on this, but part of the money, that expense credit money, $800 million went to the new Meadowlands. $350 million went to the basically Jerry's World there in Dallas. But it is one of those things to where it is those payments that have to come around and be made. And you've got, you know, seat licensing. The league has said that they're going to go ahead and help rebate those season ticket owners that have that. But it is one of those things to where that's, of course, the last thing they want to try and get into is going in the hole on this. They've set money aside to deal with it. But, I mean, new stadium development, there is some legitimacy to at least a couple of them. I mean, you've got the situation in Minnesota where we just recently saw the Metrodome completely collapse, very dramatic footage 
for those that got to see it. You know, you have a situation in San Francisco. Um, there's talk about moving a team to Los Angeles, and eventually there'll have to be a stadium there. The question of this is, is going to be, of course, you know, whether the players need to pay for this or whether it's going to be something that comes out of ownership's pockets. All right, so let's summarize. The main topics on the table for the owners and the players. We're trying to dummy this down for people. The 18-game regular season schedule, that is at the core of this. Also, the owners want to make an adjustment to the revenue-sharing percentages. They're asking for money back from the players. And then a rookie wage scale is also on the table here, maybe cap rookie figures so you don't have a Sam Bradford or someone who's never played in the NFL making 40 to $50 million before they ever step foot on an NFL field. Anything else that we're leaving out? Well, I mean, that ties into, you know, that, that's pretty much, but that billion dollars, that additional billion dollars that the player, the owners are looking for, $2 billion the credit. off the top before it makes it there, that's a key thing. It's a big number. And so that's the, those are pretty much the cornerstone issues, Brian. And then obviously and, uh, the players, as we discussed, they want better benefits, especially post-career, because as we said, this is a brutal sport, short lifespan for players. So, you know, we saw what happened with Dave Durison this week. We've seen Mike Webster, the center of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The list goes on and on of guys that have had psychological problems post-career because of head traumas. And the players are saying, if I'm going to play 18 games, part of what I want is I want better post-career benefits. That's correct. And one thing to touch on, Brian, you know, kind of along with all this, you know, one of the things that the NFL has an advantage to is they haven't opened up their financial books. And the NFL PA has, of course, asked for that. They've said that they've had a cash flow decline. The NBA has said we're in in decline, and legally they have to open up their books and have done so. And that's one of those cornerstone issues that's part of this battle. Yeah, and that's a problem I have with the owners. If you're going to come to me and say, I need money back, I need you to make concessions, I'm going to cut your percentage by anywhere from 18 to 30%, but you're not willing to show me where you're losing money, there's a trust issue there, and I've got a problem with that, and I can see why the players and Demore Smith are a little bit uh, hesitant to engage in some of those conversations with the owners. Well, and that's a huge part of it. I mean, in my discussions with the Players Association, when you talk to them, you the one thing that the baseball players now have with the league, you know, it's not a perfect relationship. No, no union business relationship is ever, you know, a, a totally happy marriage. But they believe that they're in a partnership. And I asked the Players Association for the NFL, do you feel like you're partners with the owners? And they're like, absolutely not. There is a trust issue at play here. It's very acrimonious. And that issue of not being able to open up the books, I think it's a legitimate thing. So, Maury, let's wrap up. Look into your crystal ball. How do you think this is all going to turn out? Well, I mean, you hope that the federal mediation process plays itself out and that we have an agreement come uh, March 3rd. But it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a lockout on March 4th, Brian. It just doesn't look very good. Do you think we'll miss any games? If we miss games, I think it will only be the preseason variety. I, I really think that if it gets into the regular schedule, there's just so much pressure to make it happen. I think that the, those would be the only games that we lose. Maury Brown, the president of the Business of Sports Network. Follow him on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter, at BizBallMaury. Maury, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been great. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. I throw my hands up in the air sometimes, saying, hey, yo, gotta let go. I want to celebrate and live my life, saying, hey, yo, 
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's, or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, we know that Carmelo Anthony was traded to the New York Knicks this week. Well, in honor, Carnegie Deli has introduced the Carmelo Anthony sandwich. $21.95. And if you've seen this thing, Griggs, it's the size of a football. I mean, you can't consume it with your mouth. You've got to take the sandwich apart, cut it up. And if one person can eat it by themselves, uh, they should be with Kobayashi in the hot dog eating contest. Yeah, or they can get an endorsement from Tums because they're going to need it after that because the sandwich is huge. There's like so much meat on there. It's ridiculous. But think of all the different opportunities for Mello now in New York and think of all the number seven jerseys that are going to be sold uh, in the next few weeks. It's going to be mind-boggling. All right, Thank you to Maury Brown from the Business of Sports Network. Great conversation with him about the NFL CBA. Find that on our website, sportsbusinessradio.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Patrick O'Neill, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes link on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you'd post Post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.